Welcome to episode 27 of the Days and Days NBA podcast. We've been away for a few weeks. We have sort of had a bit of a bit of an off-season ourselves. Um, our TV schedules have got in the way on the Monday night, Daz. I know you're a big Game of Thrones fan, and I've been uh, following Twin Peaks pretty closely on the same night. But what did you make of the, the Game of Thrones later season? Was everything you hoped for? Well, it's the first season without George Martin his writing and you can tell so it feels like it's become an action series so it's so it was okay i guess but i i was a i'm a book nerd so i read all the books and i can just tell that the characters don't do things that <laughs> that they're supposed to do quote unquote so um but i'm a i'm a purist geek but uh entertainment value yep they're there but yeah the character depth is gone so have the books ended and it's not, not going any further with the books or have they just thrown that series in? So basically George was to have his last book written, you know, a year or two ago, um, but it's just taken him longer. It sounds like uh, if you follow the super nerdosphere of those of us who follow his writing, he's he's now got so much he's turned it into two books and he basically he had to make a big decision, right? He's like, the TV shows are going faster than I can go. And so he basically made a call to say, you know what, let Benny off and the showrunners go and let them do their thing to stay on schedule. And he has. So he, he had to let go of, of owning the characters and where they're going. So, um, so the books were supposed to be ready, you know, a year ago, but it's, he's not ready. He hasn't yeah, finished I think- I read that it's not going to start again until 2019, so uh, maybe that will give me a little bit more time to catch up on it because I've been needing to to watch it. But it's a big um, it's a big commitment to sit down, and try and catch up on what has it been seven seasons or something. It's going to have to be. Yeah, and this is one of those series, right? Where it's um, maybe it's like any series that goes for seven years. But man, if you don't if you don't know season one, you have None of this stuff has any value, right? So it's a yeah, you've got to watch the whole thing, basically. Yeah, well, I mean, but yeah, that, but that's been probably as slightly more entertaining than, or slightly less entertaining. I'm not sure. Pretty close to Cavs, Cavs, um, Warriors, anyway. <laughs> well, the Cavs are burning the news again, Daz, because uh, now we had different takes on what was sort of going on. Uh, with the Celtics Cavs trade, I, I had real fears that the trade would be be vetoed. But uh, I think you called it exactly right. You sort of said, look, the way the trade went down, it was already uh, factoring in the fact that Isaiah Thomas had some issues with his uh, hip. And so when that news came out, you were a bit sort of surprised that the, the Cavs were even talking about vetoing it. Um, most of the take was I thought maybe the, the injury is worse than what the Cavs initially thought. Um, but the, the reports coming out about this, and basically if you're not up to date on what's happened, you know, Isaiah Thomas uh, went in for his medical. They found that obviously there was a there's problems with the hip that they knew. Um, maybe it was a little bit worse than Cleveland expected, so they held out for a little bit longer and eventually got an extra second-round pick out of the Celtics. But... From reading the reports, I think your analysis was spot on in, in terms of uh, that they had already factored in the fact that he was he was injured. 
um, and he was coming out of his damaged goods, if you like, and that's why the Brooklyn pick was, was included um, as part of the trade package. So uh, is that the sort of same take that you still have looking back on it? And do you think, uh, you know, have Boston really badly overpaid now to throw in the extra uh, second round pick? I've probably come off a little bit of my A quintuple plus C minus um, assessment, which I think was my assessment after the second round pick was thrown in. Um, but no, so yeah, I think, you know, Danny Ainge is probably as close to um, Gollum and my precious with his, you know, with his uh, draft picks. And so for his inclusion of the unprotected first, I think that for me was an acknowledgement that all sides know that Isaiah was, he was going to miss significant uh, time this season. Um, but I guess the, and it's more probably a more, less about Isaiah and just more my stopping and thinking for a minute and just doing some simple calculus on the Chicago Bulls, Indiana Pacers, Atlanta Hawks, and going, holy shit, that Brooklyn pick, that's a no, that's no lock to be top three. That's for sure. Um, and I, I said my money would be on that pick probably falling in the six to nine range. And so I'd probably come off my A quintuple plus C minus to still more of a solid, still a solid A for Cleveland, even with Isaiah's injury. I'm a lot higher probably on Jay Crowder and what he can mean to help to LeBron over 82 games um, and chasing Kevin Durant than perhaps some of the some others are. So I'm still, but I'm still. That's about as good as I think Cleveland could have done. Um, all things considered. Yeah, I think I think some of the reports that I've read, part of the issue was that LeBron wasn't overly impressed um, to think that Isaiah. Let's let's say worst case scenario, he's not back until February. Um, yeah, that's going to put a lot of more miles on LeBron's legs, and I think he was sort of hoping that maybe this is a a, a year where I can not even necessarily have rest days, but just not be having to play thirty six, thirty seven minutes well. a night. Um, whereas if Isaiah Thomas was out. Well, uh, you know, good luck relying on Derek Rose as your starting point guard um, for a significant portion of the season because that's what they're looking at doing well, right now. It's starting point guard, and the the thing which LeBron probably wise, LeBron's probably just quite disappointed, just sad face, is Kyrie. No matter Kyrie will get you a bucket, he'll get you points. Kyrie lets LeBron rest for. 15, 20 games in a row, right? By you know, with with his scoring load, and I go. That's a massive scoring load with no Isaiah. That's the you know LeBron can relax on the offensive end and the defensive end when when Kyrie's got it going. So that's a big dynamic change and an, you know a change in the dynamic of the team without an Isaiah. And that's where I I then go into well, how how is Cleveland going to deal with that? Can they go into the regular season with um, with Derrick Rose and whatever, I'm, who's their? They have a backup point guard. If Derrick Rose is a starter, God, I can't even. Do they have a backup point guard? I roster? don't think they do at the moment. I, I was wondering, they do. do they even have it? So, go. What are some of their choices? You stay as is, and you hope that Isaiah, Isaiah gets healthy. And if you read Tom Haberstroh, far be it for me to give credit to ESPN, but Haberstroh wrote a really nice piece about Isaiah's injury. I know you read that, didn't you? Yeah. Oh, Calderon's. Jose Calderon's on the roster. 
Oh, you made me start like five minutes in. That was good. Well done. <laughs> well, yes, so, I did read that. Well, there are options. That, that goes, go as is. That's option option A. Just hold the course. Hope Isaiah comes back, and just get you know. Um, option B is some of the speculation of do they trade this pick that they got from the Nets to try and get another asset? Now, that's a whole different conversation about who's what type of player is worth. You know, basically a top five pick. Or option C, which is this, I still, I'm kind of like in the option C camp. And again, I know he's not a point guard, but I think a guy like Dwayne Wade can help. He can help ease that scoring load. You know, certainly not the way Kyrie can for, you know, a a 20-game stretch, but he certainly can for, you know, two or three games here and there. You know, D-Wade can still drop 25. And, you know, D-Wade's this type of guy who, you know, you want to go and get yourself a win, you know, against a, I don't know, a pesky Charlotte team, and you want to win that night, and D-Wade can help you win the games against Charlotte and the Clippers and the, you know, sort of the mid-tier of the league, right? D-Wade's not going to carry you over, you know, over the top of the league, but he can help. And he's also there just the right, he's a, you know, BFF of LeBron. So I think that sort of player can help if he gets bought out. So I think that's that for me is kind of the three options and for Cleveland, stay as is, flip the pick, or find some more buyout candidates or some. I don't know if they have any mid, I'd have to check their cap space more. I don't know if they have any mid-level stuff left, just to get some. Well, that's that's also assuming there's anyone on the market, which there probably no. isn't. I don't know. What do you think? What do you think Cleveland's going to do? do I, I really don't know. I, I think there's obviously some big questions on how long Isaiah is going to be out for. And not only that, what what sort of player are they getting when he does come back? Um, yeah. Yeah, because most of the reports on Marini, he's not going to be the same player um, when he comes back that we saw last season. Uh, and that would concern me. Um, I'm not high at all on Dwayne Wade. I think he's washed up. He's done. He plays no defence anymore. I get your point that, yes, he can still potentially get you 20 points tonight. He's also a guy that can go out there and think, yeah, I'm going to try and get 25 points tonight and shoot two for 15. Uh, and you look at the box score at the end and go, wow, that was that didn't really help us too much. So, um, and, and he's also a guy, not, you know, how are you going to get him to accept the role that he's going to need to accept? I mean, he may not be able to take the court in a series against the Warriors. Uh, such as where his career is at, and does that create problems in the dressing room, things like that. So um, oh, if I'm Cleveland, I'm not looking to bring in a, a Dwayne Wade, um, and I'm certainly no? not okay. looking to pick, I'm certainly not looking to move the, the Nets pick, unless the Nets are looking like they're going to win mid-30 games, and you think, well, okay, we can pick up a, a reasonable asset, uh, wing player maybe, who knows. Uh, what's going to be out there in terms of the trade market um, when you, know, you, you imagine in sort of January, February when they're making some of those decisions just before the trade deadline. So um, that's probably what, where they're going to sit, I think, um, going forward uh, with that Nets pick. But personally, I, I'd like to just keep the Nets pick. You've got to do some... I mean, either way, it's going to be a lottery pick, maybe more in the 6-7 range than the one two three range, but um, yeah, there's also, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, yes, the Nets 
it is a terrible Eastern Conference, but that's not a. It's a very young roster still, um, so I'm not convinced that yeah. they're going to be. Um, I think they're going to be in that mix of the Chicago's and the Orlando's and um, uh, who's the other terrible team? Even the Indiana's and Atlanta's yeah. of the of the Eastern Conference. So um, it, it, I think that they'll obviously hold back and, and wait and see how the Nets are going um, before they make a move on that pick. Um, I think the, the more answer, so the answering the question of, as you're, as you're saying, right, what's going to be of Isaiah's injury, I don't even think Isaiah knows, right? We don't, you just don't know how this stuff goes. But I've, you know, as I read as much as I, I've never had an injury like this, so I can't, I can't relate to the way I can, you know, to Jabari or to Bertans and the ACLs. Um, so I don't, I don't understand labrum tears in the hip, but Haberstroh lays out that it's a, this could be quite debilitating and the pain threshold, right? Which is the, this, the thing which is um, probably may not subside as that shooting pain, which feels like a, a groin injury. Um, and he just won't have any lift anymore. So a five foot nine, five foot eight guy without lift that spells, yeah, that spells trouble. Well, they're talking so, here. I'm reading some reports just that while we're on the air here saying that uh, there's actually some arthritis in his hip as well. So it's not just the torn labour. That's there, right. There are some other issues that he's dealing with. So, um, and this is a guy that, just, you know, just oh, any NBA player is going to use your athleticism. Um, but when you're, you know, when you're five foot nothing, um, you've really got to use that quickness and athleticism. Um, to continue you know, to, to be as effective as you need to find to space, yeah, that's right. So, uh, it's going to make him even more of a liability if that's even possible on the, on the defensive end. Um, and he's going to, uh, I mean, it, it amazed me last year how how he used to get open on those in that fourth in the fourth quarters of those games, uh, and how he was so effective in the fourth quarters of those games now. Part of that was down to Brad Stevens and, and the way he was able to to um, manipulate the plays or set the plays up to get Isaiah Thomas open. I don't think Ty Lue is on that level, uh, it's fair to say, as a coach. So I, I have some concerns there as well. Uh, but if he hasn't got the athleticism, he's not got the quickness, he's going to struggle even more to get open in those fourth quarters of these games. Yeah. So... Uh, and God, you just feel so bad for this guy for what he's been through, right? Constant his entire life, trying to prove himself, and he's in this crappy ass contract. Gets bounced around from Sac to Phoenix to here, and has a you know top five MVP like season. Then goes through the horror of his you know of his sister, and then plays through it, and then gets dumped like this, and now this horrible injury. It's like. This guy's because this was going to be his payday, right? Mm. So I, I, I just sort of I feel so bad for Isaiah uh, personally, you know, as a just to imagine what this guy's been through his whole life, and now this. Um, so I feel so bad for the guy, but um, I guess what I was going with this was the so that's a we, there's no one, no one can know the answer. We just have to sit and watch and hope it gets better. But it's the I guess the and maybe we won't know anything about this either as the year goes on and. In fact, maybe even less certain is what's LeBron going to do? We talk, we're talking about the Brooklyn pick, and I go, if, if he gives any indication or clue that he, you know, one way or another staying or going, um, 
Well, I guess we don't know for sure. I think it's safe to assume he's not going to have a relationship with Kobe Altman the way he did with David Griffin. I don't think that's a stretch to suggest that. Similarly, as I don't think it's a stretch to think that he and Dan Gilbert can't even be in the same building together. Um, I don't think think everything I'm reading is they don't. There's no communication there at the ownership level. They're just sort of you know coexisting. That so we're probably not going to. You know, LeBron's going to rightfully probably keep his cards up against his chest. But that's where I now start to go. As much as he doesn't like it, and I again I've been a big LeBron defender the last last couple of years. I know you've been probably more consistently critical. But now he almost, the question is, does he have an obligation? To what extent does he have an, not an obligation, but an obligation to the fan base or the obligation to the franchise to give a hint about this? Because it's in his mutual interest. So if LeBron starts to hint that, you know what, um, you know what, guys, I'm, I'm going to go, we're probably going to go. Then that, that Brooklyn pick is an absolute lock. Um, to stay in Cleveland's hip pocket and uh, roll the dice and, you know, try to win a title with what they have. But if he starts to hint at, you know what, um, we're up for one more year and see how we go or whatever it might be, then maybe this pick does come into play. I'm not suggesting it is, but I go, his any hints that he's going to give, um, I think actually be in his best interest. So imagine if he does want to stay. Um He's yeah. going to want to start to tip that um, sooner, sooner rather than later, because they're out, they're out of bullets. This pick is the only bullet left they've got. Because you're right, as much as D Wade can help, I guess emotionally and carry the load against, you know, in a January game against Charlotte, you know, he's probably not going to help them beat the Warriors. Let's be honest, he's not. No. So, oh look, I don't that think pick... he's, I really don't think he's made his mind up yet uh, at all. I don't, th- I don't even know. Mm. I think. I think Cleveland are setting up as though they expect him to leave. Uh, and I think the only two destinations I can see is either the Lakers or San Antonio. Uh, now, maybe Houston can get into that if they make some cap moves, but they have to, and I know they're frantically trying to offload Ryan Anderson's contract, but they'd have to do at least that, and then probably Eric Gordon as well to even get in the conversation um, to be able to sign LeBron. So I'd I think that's more of a, a stretch. Um, but I just I can't get my head around why LeBron will go to the Western Conference. And that's what I keep coming back to. And I think and I and I did think Miami maybe were in play until they sort of blew their load in the summer. So they haven't got any cap space either. So I could uh, I'm sort of more back leaning towards him potentially staying, but he is sending out some some signals as well. He's looking very closely to LA and I'm in the whole, I'm going to go to the summer league and watch Lonzo ball and, you know, come in with my entourage, sit courtside, watch Lonzo and then leave again. Um, LeBron doesn't do things like that uh, without thinking about, you know, the optics of that. Uh, so I, I think there's a number of things going on in his mind. I think he'll probably just see how the season plays out. He'll, he'll probably be having one eye on the Lakers situation one eye on how strong are the Warriors. And then, you know, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he went and met with San Antonio, met with the Lakers, made a decision from there. And uh, I don't think he'll be announcing it on ESPN this time, but I think he'll be a lot more upfront with the Cleveland people in the off-season about it. But I, I don't think he has any intention of making a decision on this until the end of the season. 
um, and then he'll take some meetings and, and make some make some calls then. But well, obviously, maybe the direction of the franchise is a big thing to worry to think about. Maybe there. I guess that's possible. Right? I go this. I was asking myself just as you were you were talking about that, and just reflecting this. Does Kyrie's departure? How does Kyrie's departure affect LeBron's decision? Does it make him more likely to leave because he knows he can't get a the chances of him getting you know the second running mate like that is basically slim to none with an Isaiah being injured to actually accelerate LeBron's departure or does it actually you know perhaps galvanize him to want to stay out of this commitment to you know Northeast Ohio and commitment to the region and I'm not going to abandon you twice. You know, well, I could see. Here's what I you've got see. to understand as about LeBron's thinking. We're all looking at LeBron thinking this guy's coming towards the end of his, more towards the end of his career, and he needs to start thinking. He's not thinking like that. I think he honestly thinks he may have another ten years in him, not at this level, but in the NBA. I had someone tell tell me the other day that LeBron is going to be the first fifty year old NBA superstar, and. As ridiculous as it was, I thought, I, I wouldn't rule it out that he's still out there when he's 50 years old. I don't think he's thinking, I'm nearly done. I think he, he thinks, I've still got another four or five years at this peak level. Um, and he hasn't really shown any signs of slowing down yet. So I, I, I don't think, the point I'm trying to make is I don't think his thinking is short term. I think he's going to look longer term and think, oh, I'm ready to compete yeah. for the next four or five years. I think that's fair. I don't know if it's that 50 is mental, but <laughs> I, I've no doubt that. I've no doubt he's MJ-like or Timmy Duncan-like where, or Vince Carter-like on a different – Right? I just – he's going to play until he doesn't want to play, and I think it's safe to assume. What's he, 33 now? That You know, he probably in his head has like a five-year window. You know, three to five year window. So he probably thinks in that sort of. I think that's probably a fair comment. That's where I kind of go. I was asking, does he, is Kyrie's departure make him more or less likely to stay? But I, I kind of, I kind of, it'd be so unlike LeBron to be um, working through this, Daz. I go, it'd be very anti. That'd be just not LeBron's way to go. If you genuinely in his inner circles going, excuse me, I'm not sure, not sure what I'm gonna do, not sure who has cap space. No, LeBron is the chess. He, LeBron creates the chessboard. LeBron isn't, you know, he's not a, a knight. He's not a piece on the board. So that's why I go. I think LeBron knows exactly what he wants, and he's just working out how to execute it. That's where I go. I don't know what he wants, and that's that's right. I think you're probably right in the. Why would you go to the West? You know, I, I just, why would you do that when you basically have almost a quote guaranteed, especially now that, you know, Boston actually got got younger and didn't get as deep. I should say Boston actually might be worse than they were last year. Um, well, if he stays in the East, he's in the finals every year until, you know, until I guess you're looking at Milwaukee and saying, can Giannis get to a level where, He's he's standing up yeah, to LeBron. That's a, fucking, that's a some, fucking pipe dream, right? That's well, and get some yeah. teammates around him. Obviously, there, there's some team yeah, building maybe. still that come yeah, there. Yeah. So that that's the only hope. Or, or, or obviously, the Philly everything falls in the place of Philly potentially, but they're they're probably three four years away from being at that level. So, and that's why I think San Antonio may 
for the something because I mean if he's going to go to the Western side or one of the Warriors, well, there's no iteration of a lineup that the Lakers are going to be able to put together around LeBron, whether Paul George goes there or not, that's going to compete with the Warriors. It's just it's just not going to happen. I certainly can't see how it would happen anyway. Maybe Magic Johnson's got other plans that I can't see, but I, I personally just can't see how that. Whereas once you, if you put LeBron and Kawhi together with Pop as coach, it, it almost doesn't matter who you put around that team, and that's a team that can go the war against anyone. So, from a point of view, if, if he's looking at saying, "I am chasing Michael Jordan. I want to get to six titles, maybe, maybe he wants to get to five titles, whatever." Where he can, where he can say at the end of my career, I think I was the greatest ever. Um, that that's what he's that's what he's thinking. About. He's just thinking about how can I. He, he's thinking about his legacy and how can I get to that level. Maybe. Um, well, he's definitely thinking about legacy, and I, and maybe, maybe he hasn't worked it out. I guess that's possible. And I think, I think you're right. I can't, unless there's a, just a, a dozen trades that we even, you can't even conceive yet. But, right. Uh, well, I'll guarantee you this: lot? old LeBron's going to be a lot better than old Michael Jordan was. Yeah, probably. Jordan lost his lift, right? He lost his legs, and he got. Well, Jordan also lost his fitness. He got heavy. Mm. So Jordan, I mean, Jordan could still bring it uh, when he needed to eat it in the later Bulls days. Obviously, but the Wizards days were. were, were really I'm talking good. Wizards days because mm. he, you know, he, how many years did he take off between the sixth ring and Wizards? A couple more years. Three years, I think it was. Something. It was at least two years, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. So, so I think old Jordan. I think I think Wizards Jordan. That Jordan wasn't old. He was thirty two or thirty three, wasn't he? When he won the won his sixth. Something no, no, no. He was older than that. No, was he? Mm. It's okay. Who can Google this faster? <laughs> he might have been thirty four. Maybe no way. Not He's fifty four this year. So you go back. He would have been thirty four in ninety seven. So it was 98, 99, so he would have been 35. 97, 98, ring number six, it was his age 34 season. Oh, okay. So we're, basically what LeBron is entering now, basically. Yeah. Or is LeBron, LeBron's one year younger, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, okay. But, um, yeah, look, I think we've probably belabored and gotten not very far, but this is still the... Well, I think yeah, we're going to keep dominant. revisiting it. I mean, but what do you think about the... I mean, can you see... If, if he wants to win titles, can you make an argument why he would go to the, the Los Angeles Lakers? Um. Well, you know they just signed Vander Blue, and VJ Beecham has got this nice, sweet deal. Larry Nance Jr., Kuzma, comma Kyle, Hart, comma Josh, Ennis, comma Tyler, Luol Deng's Albatross. No, I thought that they'd have to. Literally make – I'm not even metaphorical. There'd need to be a dozen players moved. And so all that you have left is some unrecognizable Paul George, LeBron James, and I guess Lonzo would be only the only untouchable. Everyone else completely go by, just just go away. I, so it, nothing's impossible, but like why would you do that? Why would you start fresh with a place who's got a baby coach – and baby front office, it just doesn't make any sense. So I'm, I, it just doesn't. I just don't see the path between 
a starting over reset job at age 34 for LeBron. It doesn't make any sense at all. No. So oh. it's either a, it's a, it's going to be banana boat people. It's going to be reunion in Miami. Um, well, they can't do the reunion in Miami because they've got no cap space. So but again, Miami, everything's. I, I guess permanent. people can move, but gee, you, I don't know how you Daryl Morey didn't have contracts. cap space to have a $30 million year Chris Paul either. Yeah, but, but he had movable contracts. I mean, Patrick Beverly's eminently movable. Um, yeah, Deck yeah. is movable. Like, what, what Morey's finding out now is guess what? Ryan Anderson's not movable. Eric Gordon's not movable. Yeah. So they're now yeah. stuck. Whereas you look at Miami, they're not movable contracts. No one's coming knocking on the door for James Johnson, Tyler Johnson, Dylan Wade, there's these guys. I just can't see how you move those contracts in the off-season unless well, they have another blow-up. On here. the flip side, Justice Winslow, movable. Hassan Whiteside? Yeah, Whiteside, but, yeah, but he's not paid much. Whiteside, yes, maybe. But again, Whiteside's a bit of a head case. So are you really taking him on? And then, you know, you're working. And, I mean, this banana boat talk, you're like, LeBron James, Chris Paul, Melo, and Dwayne Wade are scaring nobody. No, so it's the, those exact guys. You're right. I I just meant the him him getting together with his with this next group of pals, right? His next, and not those, not the dinosaur D Wade. Well, but. I think I think he can he can play in the off season with some of his his friends. I, I don't. I think that's all a bit overblown. LeBron wants to play with friends. But I go, if it's he not, it's, I go the the list of teams, right? Unless we're we're just so missing a creative creative, you know, general manager. It's what's Houston, San Antonio, and pretty much nobody. I, that's literally it's two teams. Well, we joked that he might end up being like David Carradine in Kung Fu, and he just goes to all different teams until he retires. He goes to Orlando and sees if he can take them to the finals. <laughs> just like Moses Malone did, just keep playing. <laughs> just keep playing. I, just keep playing. I, I think you'll be so. I think he's got at least another ten years in him, and I think you'll you'll find it may even be the very high level. I don't know. Like he's, Look, he is, he's crazy. He is, he's he's crazy. unique in every sense of that word, but. But at, you know, I guess at what level, right? I guess we'll. we'll, we'll well I don't think at this you, level, obviously. But you, no. you t- you'd have a better perspective, though, right? Of a Hall of Famer, top ten-ish all-time NBA player in Duncan, is what impact? Like, what's his role, and what impact did you know thirty-seven, thirty-eight, thirty-nine-year-old Timmy have? Right, very, very different than twenty-eight-year-old Timmy, right? Well, yes and no. I mean, Timmy, but Timmy had injuries too. Like, Timmy was on one one knee. Uh, for the last probably three or four years of his career, and he had to change his whole game. He had to lose lose a lot of weight. He got a lot more um, felt, if you like, in, in his um, in his appearance and his build. Uh, and but I mean, he could still bring it. Like in in the twenty thirteen finals, in game six, he scored uh, I think twenty seven points in the first quarter, first half of that game. He slowed down a little bit in the second half. But he was still able to bring it on certain nights. But the way they managed his minutes um, and the way they managed him as a player, they knew probably from the sort of 07 finals onwards that, OK, we now need to start managing Tim Duncan. Um, yeah. Whereas LeBron, no one's managing LeBron's minutes, um, as we saw last year. So, and, But the guy has just never been injured, doesn't seem to have any... Issues that we can see at the moment. Whether <laughs> doesn't they know, he doesn't even get a cold. 
He no, good. he just doesn't. Has he ever missed a game from injury? <laughs> other than this, when I he just took him. off to Miami uh, for two weeks when he the first season with the Cavs, and that had nothing to do with injury. That was just yeah. Look, his games played challenge. every year is always some smattering between seventy and seventy-five, is because whenever he just take he rests, right? So he's been taking he's been taking care of his body since day dot. He's let's see, he played eighty-one games in two thousand and eight. 79 games in 2011, and oh, yeah, I guess he played 76 games a couple of years ago. All right, okay. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> he's, he's not very durable, is he? Gee whiz, yeah. Well, the only thing he's, I can ever remember is when they, um, when Peter Holt turned the air conditioning, oh, sorry, the air conditioning broke down in San Antonio and uh, game one of the finals, and he got cramps. <laughs> that's right. So that's that, right. That's the only. The only time I can ever think this this guy is actually, um, I mean, I've might have told this story before when when my wife came in to watch the finals and watched never watches basketball and sat down and watched LeBron for literally two minutes and just turned to me and said, "You're not beating that guy," and then got up and walked out and in my, and you know of course we end up losing in seven games so um, yeah that's the that's the sort of play that he is you know even someone that. There's not a rest of basketball fan like we are can come in and see uh, the level he's at. So no doubt we'll be re- we'll be revisiting uh, the LeBron saga as the season goes on. Um, but I, I don't think much is going to change. I still think there's going to be questions. Does he stay in Cleveland? Where if he goes, where does he go? And I think if you're really looking at the Lakers, San Antonio, maybe Houston, if they can make some moves um, to get into that conversation. The, and there's another team I wanted to talk about, Daz, that's been in the news, and not for the right reasons, uh, is a team that just looks like an absolute, absolute clusterfuck at the moment, and that's the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, they lost Solomon Hill, who was really their, well, their starting small forward, almost their only small forward on the roster. To be honest, certainly a guy that we know can play at NBA, NBA level on the roster. Uh, and then Frank Jackson, their rookie, who I don't know what sort of high hopes you would have had for him, but I, I felt like he was going to at least play minutes for them. He broke his foot. Second time he's broken his foot, so that's not yeah. a good look for his career either. They then And then there was sort of talk, well, maybe Quincy Pondexter will come in and he might be able to start small ball. Well, we've answered that question because they traded him away. Um, basically, for no, well, basically, they clear some cap space to try and sign someone. Um, and uh, you know, it's, it's doubtful he will be ready, certainly, for the start of the season. We may not even see much more Quincy Pondexter in the NBA, which, unfortunately, he's, I think he's a reasonable player to have, you know, ninth, tenth guy on your roster. So we're, we're two from here for this team. It just looks like it, it's inevitably going to be <laughs> a very sad, sad season. I mean, just... Uh... It's sort of like the. Um, um, do you remember the movie Swingers? Mm. Do you remember? Did you ever see the movie Swingers, Daz? Where yeah. there's the um, the John Favreau character, right? Is um, uh, he'd broken up? His girlfriend had broken up with him, and he's just depressed about it. And he keeps he keeps ringing her and calling her, getting her voicemail, and leaving the. Sh- leaving these just depressing, awkward, 
horrible messages on her on her answering machine. He had answering machines back then. And it's just he just doesn't get over her, and his entire life is this neurotic. Um, maybe she'll take me back. Um, nothing's ever going to be good again. I've totally screwed this up. Right, this just depressing neurotic character, and I go. That's what it feels like to be Del Demps. It's like this this depressing, um, insecure, um, making moves and making calls just to make a move and make a call. It's just like nothing, nothing adds up to a plan or a strategy or a clear intent or a philosophy or a roster construction or anything around, you know, either validating that you've been doing it the right way or changing something up to say that we actually maybe need to use Anthony Davis in a different way. Now with book, nothing adds up. So it is, and you're right. What did you already say? Dumpster fire? I said the clusterfuck. It's a clusterfuck. Yeah. I mean, let's have a look at their roster just quickly. So you've got Anthony Davis. Arguably one of the top five players in the NBA. Who needs the ball in his hands most effectively, right? He's a playmaker. He's like Giannis-like, right? He likes to initiate. Yes, he can come off screens, but he he needs the ball in his hands, right? To be effective. Do you agree with that? Okay. Next player? The next player is, well, let's say Boogie Cousins. And what does Boogie like to have in his hands? He likes to have the rock. He likes to have the rock, right? Okay. Super skilled, great hands, great touch, right? Beautiful around the rim. He's almost got Kyrie-like touch in this beautiful little use of the glass. Likes to step out and have a J, but needs the basketball. Who's the next player on your list, Des? Uh, Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday. What position does Drew Holiday play? He's a point guard. He's a guy that controls the ball, doesn't he? That's right. That's guess, right. Guess what, what position is Drew Holiday going to be playing this season, Des? Who's the... I don't think he'll be playing point guard. There's a, He's not going to be playing point guard. They signed... Who did they sign this offseason as their starting point guard? Rajon Rondo. Now he sounds French, so maybe he's quite a distributor. La Rajon. No, R. He, Rondo. There's a guy that had probably three good games last year. Uh, two yes. of them came in the playoffs. I, I, can you explain to me why teams keep signing Rajon Rondo? I, don't as know, I, said, I, don't I went it. back depressed, insecure. Your girlfriend's broken up with you. Life isn't going to get any better. You're afraid what everyone thinks of you. Oh, my God, what's Anthony Davis going to think? Oh, no, what's he going to think about me? What's Oh, no, Alvin Gentry's really nice. What's he going to think about me? I better make a move. If that move wasn't a move based off of insecurity, depression, and a lack of clarity as a result of those first two conditions, I don't know what is. I go, with what, what calculus, what nylon calculus, what, you know, Daz and Daz, what calculus says that we pay 130 fucking million dollars to our, our our point guard of the future, and you know what? Let's sign a better. Let's find a different point guard and move our one to the two. Move him off ball. Mm. And guess what? Now our off ball point guard, Drew Holiday, he's actually not that great of a three point shooter. Oh, jeez. I like even if you sign a, a Jonathan Simmons or something, throw a contract at him. That would have made more sense than Rondo. Well, yeah, someone, well, someone who could defend the perimeter at least. Yeah. Someone who can defend and play, play a small forward. So, I mean, their starting small forward at the moment is D. Dot Miller. That's their starting small forward. Yeah, and I think I'd give listeners, a, you know, I'll buy them a burger at your local Balmain pub if they can 
they can figure out what the first name is D, of D. Dot Miller is because nobody remembers and nobody cares. And he's and the other. Knows. So here's the other point, guys. So they've got Frank Jackson, who's now broken his foot. He's a point guard. Twice. Yep. Ian Clark's listed as a shooting guard, but he he backed up Steph Curry for, as a point guard in Golden State. He's a chucker. Yep. Quite a bit, right? Another guy that likes to have the ball in his hands. Poor man's Clarkson, I call him. Yep. Jordan Crawford. Now, there's a guy that uh, he, he's he, <laughs> he needs the ball. He's, I mean, he can spot up shoot, I guess, a little bit. Jordan Crawford, but there's, he that's was a very popular in China. Yes, uh, each he one, was. Each one more. Good. Yeah, you know, he would have been a good import player, Jordan Crawford. Yep. I like each one more, but again, fit on this roster, I'm not sure. Um, well, the, I think about this as like okay, it's the insecure dull damps, and I go, what's going to happen is Etwan, um, Chuck Diallo, Jordan Crawford, Dante Cunningham, Ian Clark, they're all going to suffer the um, Delavadova comp. Is when you ask a player to do too much, that's when you fall down. And I just can't help but think, what choice is Alvin Gentry going to have other than to hope and pray that some of these guys play and and try to do things that they're not capable of. Because what's the, what's the option? Have an 11-man rotation? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I just think these, these they're going to need someone to come up and space the floor and distribute the ball. And I go, that's just... Yes. I, I, don't, I don't see it. What's going to happen? And so, let's see this out. They're going to start the season... They started the season 0-8 last year, right? Porridge went through that sort of thing. Um, let's have a quick look at the Pelicans' schedule this year, shall we? Let's do this in real time. Regular season. So you had that against that. Oh, it's pretty squishy, actually. At Memphis, it's winnable. Golden State loss. Then you got, you know, three winnable road games. Lakers, Blazers, Kings. You come home against the Cavs, and then you got Orlando, Minnesota, Dallas, Chicago, Indiana. So they start really soft. It's road heavy, but it's a, there's a bunch of winnable games there. So that's just one of those things, right? If you start two and nine again, right? That well, here's the thing too. Like we just went through their roster. We didn't even name the guy that's the fifth highest paid player on their roster. You know who we missed? Is that Solomon Hill who's hurt? No, that he's the fourth. And there's a guy that's the fifth oh, highest um, player. Oh, it's Ashik, right? Omar Ashik. Ashik. So yeah, he's, there's he's the, the fifth the, highest player, paid player on the roster. And guess what? He's there for another two years after this one. He has three years left on his contract. Oh, he's got a Luol Deng, Bismack Biombo. So there's another there's another guy that you are just not moving. In their infinite wisdom, thinking that Anthony Davis's best position was a four, and the best player next to Anthony Davis is a wooden statue who rebounds. Yeah, I mean he did have one. He did have one good season, I think, before they signed. But it's again, you know, why are you signing guys to long-term contracts um, after one good season? Um, they were so convinced he was the, the the franchise anchor to lead them to the. That's how I go. This is they're paying for that. They're paying for the Ashiks, isn't? And well, the other the other thing that's been brought up is Drew Holiday has a lot of different um, incentives in his contract, and they're, they're highly unlikely that he will make meet those incentives. But they do count against their cap, 
So they're now actually up against the hard cap, which is one of the reasons they've got to move uh, on Dexter just to try and um, bring a guy in. So that, you know, they, they certainly don't have much room to move, if any. Um, and, you know, you're only really bringing in a, uh, you know, an, an extra guy, a veteran on a minimum at this point. And, I mean, that's obviously not moving the needle too much for New Orleans one way or the other. So um, whether they start well or not, I think the big question for for um, for Gentry is going to be Boogie Cousins and Davis. How many minutes do they play together? How long is Boogie going to be on the bench for? You know, once they start finishing games with Boogie Cousins on the bench, uh, things are going to be ugly pretty quickly. I think in your days. Well, this is you and I traded this note. I think off offline was the when Solomon Hill of all things, right? He's not. He's not an off. He's limited offensively, but his injury means they're gonna have. There's gonna be no defense at the wing, right? And so what that all, that's gonna mean is just people are gonna be attacking, 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 and I think you're gonna see Boogie in even more foul trouble than he already is. And when Boogie is out of position and being attacked, and he's in foul trouble. Boogie's also then he down, right? He gets frustrated. Um, he gets frustrated his teammates. He gets frustrated. That's a pretty consistent pattern. So, one, he's going to be off the court more often. Two, he's going to be um, on the bench because he's going to have foul trouble. And there goes your, you know, the only other hope to, to put points on the board next to Anthony Davis. So, go, this is a this is a train wreck. What, what's, a train Boogie's, wreck. what's Boogie's value uh, in from a trade point of view? I mean, if, if you're the Washington Wizards, let's say, and they come to you and say, Otto Porter... And Kelly Oubre for Demarcus. No, I think it'd be more like a, um, you know, Gortat, Oubre in the future, something like that, right? So I think if you're Washington, you, plus he's he's a rental, you, you're gonna. Uh, well, you're assuming as... if if he signs with John Wall, you're hoping that that's that the, the sure. relationship they yeah. have, and you maybe you get some sort of commitment. Let's say Washington or, or any team, for that matter, gets a commitment but, from Boogie Cousins. I'm going to re-sign with you. And but what did Sacramento get for him? Buddy yeah, Heald and a pick, right? Well, I think Sacramento are in different positions. They they were de- pretty desperate to offload him for, for reasons other than just pure basketball reasons. I'm actually thinking that his has his value gone up or down since he was traded from Sacramento. I think the value for New Orleans, the value he holds for New Orleans is more than the value he held at Sacramento. That's what okay. I'd say. So Even though whether, he's an unexpiring. That's right. Okay. Whether that's the same across the league, I don't know. Um, okay. and, and you'd obviously have to be confident that he was going to resign. You're not bringing him in the rental. Um, so if you, if you had some confidence in the resign. So I, you're, you're, yeah, this is why they're just, they're stuck, and that's why. You and I talked about it six months ago when, or in January when, or February when Ainge held firm at the trade deadline, saying Ainge is playing a long. Game. I think that long game is aimed at the next superstar who's going to be available, and that's going to be Anthony Davis. And here we are. I've seen nothing to the contrary, and in fact, we've just listed off injured draft picks, um, petulant one-dimensional non-players like Rondo coming onto the roster, reek of desperation. They're $130 million kid playing out of position. Um, uh, Boogie Cousins, who's got every Boogie Cousins piece of baggage next to him. Go, just 
think about that list of circumstances around Anthony Davis. Omer Oshik's albatross, Del Demps's um, churning of the roster, it just signing guys from China, Jordan Crawford, uh, Darius Miller, he played in Germany last year, 27-year-old who was, you know, ordinary to nothing at Kentucky. You just gave away our, you just gave away our quiz for the fans. Oh, did I? I didn't know we had a quiz. <laughs> yeah, D. Miller, Darius Miller. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you, you can bleep that out. <laughs> but I go, just think about, I go, just, so that's where, that's where Anthony Davis is at. He is in a complete, complete, dis, uh, franchise in complete disarray. It will take a minor miracle for him and Boogie to, you know, to get this team into the seven seed or eight seed. That, that's assuming they stay together. I think it's pretty safe to say between Rondo, like they're one injury away from catastrophe, right? We're already going to be relying heavily on Etwan Moore and Jordan Crawford and, you know, this nut job D. Miller from Germany. And I go, they're one injury away from catastrophe. Well, the, the right? thing, I, I don't think there's any scenario where they trade Anthony Davis. I just don't see it. Um, um, no, I think that's, there's no tra- – I'm not suggesting that. I'm thinking they see this dumpster fire. Don't don't you have to think about trading, trading Boogie, but then you trade the one star for more pieces and – you're back to where you were with Buddy in a draft. Well, it depends. Look, what can you get for Buddy? And that, that's the thing. And what else? They need small forward. They need wings, and they need guys that can shoot. And and look, Anthony. Well, Davis, you know what? They played better when Anthony Davis just surrounded himself. He had Etor um, Moore was playing towards the end of the year, but Jordan Crawford put up numbers, um, and that was when Boogie was out injured for a little bit uh, towards the end of last season. They actually had their best stretch of basketball. So, I think Davis is such a good player. You don't necessarily need another superstar. You just need some nice complementary pieces around him, and then hope that you can develop one of the young players. You know, and then again, we've spoken about this before. What the, the way to become a contender in the NBA is hitting on one of those second round draft picks, like on State Pick with Draymond Green. Yeah. So you're hoping that one of these second round guys comes out and just blows up. I wonder if there's a. I start thinking theoretical matches where. If you're the Dallas Mavericks, you've just totally fucked Nerlens Noel and that negotiation and that relationship. So I go, do you start to go get in on the boogie? Do you try to do a, a boogie? Add boogie to Harrison Barnes and Dennis Smith? And I go, hmm, you got my attention. Oh, look, that's not a contender. But now you got you know three three players who games, whose games actually probably quite complement quite well. So I go, There's, there'll be places... Well, I think that for... Boogie moves the needle a lot further in the Eastern Conference um, to state the bleedingly obvious than he does in the Western Conference. So well, I'm I just looking at teams who'd have an asset, right, and not mortgaging their future. That's the that's all I was thinking is who's got assets that are Boogie worth and aren't going to completely kill their torpedo their future. Like just teams aren't going to be trading two lottery picks for him. This is not happening. You know, he got Buddy Heald a ter- a crappy lottery pick. You know, and a middling lottery pick is what he got before. That's why I'm saying I think his value is maybe the same as it was, you know, as it was in Sacramento. So mm. it's like the teams like who've got a disgruntled RFA like like Nerlens Noel, perhaps as a you know that, that sort of type of player plus a I don't know throw throw Powell in there and you got the salaries to match. But uh, well, they're going to need to move him for something. Um, uh, 
of, of worth for the future, I think, um, once they realise where this season's going. So I, I think there's going to be a big trade watch on DeMarcus Cousins yet again, um, almost no matter what he does. I mean, he's going to have to put up some ridiculous numbers and they're going to have to play, obviously, a hell of a lot better than they did together uh, last season for that to change. Um, we might leave the New Orleans Pelicans there, though, Daz, and talk. I wanted to, given that we're, we're actually not as far away from the others as you think, so part of our preview, we didn't want to do traditional preview. We don't do things traditionally on this pod. So over the next few pods before the season begins, we wanted to sort of answer some of the big questions of the NBA. So we're going to probably have two or three each week as well as covering off some of the some of the news. The first one I wanted to talk about was, I guess, league pass teams. Who are the, who are the teams that you're really looking forward to watching um, from a roster construction point of view and just from an excitement point of view? You think it'd be really, really nice team um, to watch in the, in the the upcoming season. Oh, good question. Start to start to get the television scheduled down. Um, oh, number one it, for me is Houston, right? I can't wait to see the experiment with 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 Chris Paul and James Harden, and just how all those all the pieces fit together. So Houston's definitely top of my list. Um, yeah, I want to see Houston games ten to fifteen. You know, when they a little bit of time to settle. And you go, okay, now what what D'Antoni wants this team to look like now is about where it's going to start coming together. That's where I'm going to be really fascinated. Yeah, that's fair. Look, I, I maybe it's maybe I'm just attracted to the churn and to see what happens, but I'm actually quite interested in what what the Clippers look like. This has been so long; they've been the same team for so long. I'm just quite interested now with the the post post-JJ, post-Chris Paul, just kind of how it all works together. Because the same which is, well, Doc Rivers is not a great general manager, but I still think he's probably a really good coach. And uh, I'm really interested to see what he can do with a more, with a deeper team and with rotation. So that's more of a curiosity factor. Well, I think the Dacic and, and Gallo, they're going to be, they're going to have some nice chemistry you hope to get yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, so Houston Clippers... Yeah, I think I know what we have in Denver. Not too too interested in that. Yeah, Minnesota. Yeah, Butler's there and stuff. But I think we kind of know what Tibbs' teams are going to look like. So Carl Anthony Towns interests me. You know, he's he's got star written all over him. Um, yeah, those are probably my top two. Who my top? Who's jumping up for you? Philadelphia is my uh, probably number one. I just I want to see that that team. Fully, fully healthy. Uh, I, I think there's a little bit of pressure on Brett Brown to get things right this year as well. So I'm sort of rooting for him to do well um, as well as being fascinated oh. to see. But to see Fultz and Simmons, uh, Saric, Embiid, these guys um, out on the court together, um, and, and J.J. Redick, of course, out on the court together, you know, really, and and Embiid was so exciting last year um, to see all Bird for only thirty-three games. So, fingers crossed, touch wood, um, you know, really hoping to see a fully healthy Joel Embiid, and I think that's going to be one of the really, you know, fascinating subplots of the season, just to see how this team comes together and what are they actually building out there in Philadelphia. 
um, obviously there's some, I'm interested to see Kyrie in Boston and see how that works. Um, I think don't overlook, uh, I've sort of decided I'm just going to embrace the Golden State experience this year. And, and because when, you know, in, what? In 10, well, in 10 who, years time, who is this? 10 years time, people are going to say, yeah, and clear. you were, you were, <laughs> I'm not going to embrace Zaza. I'm not going that far, but when you sort of look back, we're going to say, gee, that Golden State team from 2014 through the 2020 was just an unbelievable team. And it would be a shame to sit back and think, you know what, we were just against them. We hated watching them. We wanted them to lose all the time. I mean, I think sometimes you just got to sit back and say, you know what, that's a great basketball team. And let's let's appreciate it for what it is and try and sort of overlook all the peacocking that they do game to game and, and the cupcake mentality and things like that. Um, so just pure on the basketball court, you know, Very what good. they do off the court and all the sick events that they want to surround themselves with, we can overlook that for a little bit. Um, and just don't talk to their fans because their fans are a bunch of cockheads, the general rule. So that's that's probably the two things that I'd say. Um, and I, I'm, the other term I'd throw in is Portland. I, th- I think Portland, <laughs> Nurkic was really good towards the end of last year. I'm just, I'm very, very interested to see what they can produce, um, you know, with, with a fully healthy, hopefully, Nurkic from from game one uh, next season. Yeah, OKC, obviously I'm interested in them from a roster construct, but they're not going to be very, very fun to watch. That's just going to be your turn, my turn offence. And that's the sort of, I, I hate that type of basketball. So more interested to see how they go. Um, just in terms of the roster construction and, and how successful they are, because I'm, I'm quite high on them. Um, what about teams you're not really excited about? I mean, who are the, who are the bottom teams? You're just like, I have no interest in seeing this team, and I'll probably wait to turn on the games across the season. Well, the full the full body dry heaves, right? We already know what I mean. Just it's going to be vulgar, offensive, <laughs> and dumb. You know, the, this Atlanta, Chicago. Um, and Indiana sort of top my list of you know just uh, they don't I can't even end in conversation. Phoenix is a bunch of kids running around, um, so I'm not really too fussed about teams like that. You know, just just still in tank mode. I'm still I'm still pissed off at Orlando, and I know that and they've got Weltman in the new regime with John Hammond, my old Milwaukee GM. Um, I'm just I. What was the question? Who you don't? I don't want to watch. Yeah, who's the I, team you think? Yeah, you know, the, the couple well, of times you just like oh, two teams that made me the most angry. I'm going to shut them out of my life. Was the Hornets and the Magic? Like they were so frustrating last year, just so frustrating. Like I don't. I'm just my patience has worn thin with both those franchises. And on the flip side, on the you know middling teams, I'm kind of quiet hearing for and kind of curious about is the Pistons. I'm still a Stan Van. I like Stan Van. Okay, they've had some ballsy moves this off season and getting Bradley for Casey and and the rest of it. And just kind of, you know, what are they gonna do with Drummond? So I kind of am still a bit. Maybe it's like we're trying to, you know, watching a train wreck. You but like I'm, watching big guys miss free throws. I don't at all. But I'm I'm more curious about the drum, not about the, not about the product. So I'm curious about them and, um. 
Yeah, who else am I yeah, curious about? I think Chicago yeah. jumps out at me just the team that I want no part of. Yeah, I, I want no part zero of Zero interest in watching. No it. part of Indiana, no part of Atlanta. They're poorly coached. Um, a terrible roster. Indiana's the same. Atlanta, I'm, I'm a little bit interested in Atlanta just from the point of view of let's see what Buds can do with a terrible roster. Um, yeah. This is going to be, I guess, the, the the defining moment in some ways. Of, yeah, you know, that doesn't, doesn't interest me. Yeah, I suppose there you go. So my, my Eastern Conference curiosity is Detroit. My Western Conference curiosity is the Mavs. You know, I'm, I'm sort of going to buy the Dennis Smith hype train. Um, Nerlens Noel is fucking pissed off and going to play for a massive contract. But will he also then be pulling back and not going all out and faking injury and resting and being petulant? And how will how will Carlisle handle that? So I'm kind of curious about the, in these the, the not the top, not the bottom, but the couple of teams in the middle, like just to see how they unfold. Yeah. Because I think if if week one of the NFL is any indication about the product and the trajectory trajectory of that league, in fact, as I might be eating my words and be wishing that I was watching a Charlotte Hornets, um, Orlando Magic home and home series, than to have to endure the fucking Cincinnati Bengals versus the Baltimore Ravens or the, the Buffalo Bills versus the New York Jets, or the um, Carson City Rams versus the um, third-string Scott Tolzien, Scott <laughs> kicked to the can, you know, um, whatever, Baltimore Colts, wherever that team is. There's so much horrific garbage that passes for NFL that the NBA season starting a couple weeks early might actually be a good thing. Oh, I think there's no question. I mean, the... the, the... There's a number of things I think where the NBA is starting to move in. Certainly, the, the product, the quality of the product is a lot, a lot better. Uh, that is it being a world game. You know, I think I think the, the the pool of players that these teams are, are, are choosing from in the NFL is shrinking, um, and it's not a world game. It's not an international game. So it's not like you know you're going to bring a dosage over to play in the NFL. It's just not going to happen. So if it's not coming out of the US, it's not. Um, it's not going to happen at all. You've got terrible quarterback play. Um, you know, if Colin Kaepernick's in the top 30 quarterbacks in the league, well, then I don't think I've ever watched the game. Um, you just sort of push me to one side and say, you don't know what you're talking about. But, um, so I, I can't, I mean, you watch Scott Tolzien today and you think, this is a guy that they're going to entrust an NFL game to. Um, so I think there's, there's obviously real problems there, but I think it's, it's also the personality stats. You know, this is uh, with the except with a couple of notable exceptions like the Rajon Rondos and the and the Derek Roses. It's a real, um, you know, and we sort of had a little bit of a shot at Kevin Durant and LeBron and things like that. But I mean, you know, who would you prefer, Kevin Durant and LeBron or Zeke Elliott? Yeah, among many others, or Tom Brady even. And, and I know you, we. He catches a lot of flack from us, but Bill Simmons was making similar comments for like just how and his, his article in the ringer came out around the 15 reasons they have trouble or is a disaster or something. And they're pretty 15, pretty good reasons, except for his, you know, Tom except Brady apologies. Yeah. Yeah. Deflate gate stuff. But it's the, he was even saying things like, you know, we're so captivated by, you know, uh, this is a this is new. He was even five years ago. Uh, it was the opposite, right? Where we were 
slugging through. Uh, here's LeBron in Miami in another series, and you know this just the drudgery of the evil, evil king, evil kingdoms, and evil super teams going at it again in San Antonio, Miami. Like, yep, like just no surprise. Bunch of franchise stuck in purgatory. Couple idiot teams tanking and just the drudgery five years ago of the NBA to now, like we will, there's more fascination with, with, you know, Contavious Caldwell Pope and what happens to Avery Bradley and how that's working out. While at the same time, literally, perhaps the single greatest defensive player in the NFL, Aaron Donald is holding out. And Bill Simmons is saying, can you imagine if, if Kawhi Leonard right was holding out you know up until the you know the very first day of the season it would be we'd be talking about it 24/7 but at the NFL we just don't you know so there's still some of the anonymity because the teams are bigger right and there's anonymity because of the helmets and you don't know their faces as much but then you think about superstars like do you even know what David Johnson looks like he went number 1 in everyone's fantasy draft number 1 or number 2 i couldn't pick him out of a lineup I don't know what he looks like. And so there's this, not only is Roger Goodell having a rich white man's, you know, um, regime with the NFL, their marketing has gone to shit. As you were pointing out, you got the Zeke Elliott stuff and the Greg Hardy, you know, Greg Hardy stuff and all this horrible violence going on you know, with players that get shoved under and the inconsistent treatment. And, and then we watch the games. I mean, if I didn't love the rivalry, love or stroke hate the rivalry Packers-Seahawks, I'd go, boy, you'd have to be an, like an 85 Bears fan to like that game. It was just defenses dominating, ill-prepared offenses, and just brutal. And that was yeah, probably I think one that's, of the better... It's not, I don't mind good defensive play. I don't think it, it is good defensive play a lot of time. It's just poor offensive play. That's, that's um, what I mean. They're just The offensive line of Seattle is atrocious, and I go, by a in about 16 weeks' time, both those teams are probably going to be 12-4, and four, right? Now, you know, that's, that's more of a state of here we are, week one, and these teams aren't ready. This is a horrible product. And I go, the NFL has dragged us through four weeks of preseason, four weeks of preseason, and how many shredded ACLs? Yeah. You know, Julian Edelman and uh, Cameron Meredith, right, your Bears guy. Um, the starting left tackle for the Seahawks shredded his, like there's just horrible indoor for these meaningless games. And I go, if you're going to have all these long preseasons, shouldn't they be used to get teams ready and get the players ready? And they're not. So it's like, the, it's like the worst of all worlds, four games that the players hate, the, the horrible quality games that the fans don't like, and then teams are getting injured and the fans get even more upset and it hurts the hurts these clubs and then the regular season games are worse it's like it's just not working so give me some give me some um pacers bulls man no i think i don't care <laughs> let me watch let me watch thad young you know battle it out with Miritich. my god that's probably more compelling theater well i think it is I'm, at least in an nba game you can say you can talk yourself into what am i looking for obviously with nfl if you play fantasy maybe you've got some fantasy interest there but I'll tell you, my sort of view on it now is, unless you like watching advertisements on television, the NFL is really not not a, a sport, and made the TV sport even particularly live. 
I think the best way to watch it now is probably to get league pass, try and stay away from the scores and wait and watch the abbreviated replays later on in the in the day. I mean, I watched a couple of just the highlight packages, um, particularly around the Bears today. It was far more entertaining than trying to watch it live and just having constant three and outs and just guys missing, running wrong routes and you know the quarterbacks getting sacked and not having time to throw and things like this. So I think I think there's some there's some real issues there, and I, but I think from the NBA's point of view, they're ready to pounce, um, and, and they're always thinking about ways of making the product oh. better. Um, one of the things we did want to talk about tonight, and might be a good segue to talk about, is, is the changes they're looking to make with the uh, the lottery now. So they're going to make some changes with the lottery where it's not the the top team in the lottery at the moment can only fall to. Um, the fifth spot, and they're oh, sorry, the, the fourth spot. They're now going to be able to fall to the fifth spot, um, and second can fall to the sixth spot, etc. And the top three teams will all have an equal uh, percent chance of getting the number one pick. So I think it's it's not major changes. They're, I think they're just fiddling at the edges until they find the right balance. Um, I still think you're going to get some tanking because teams are going to say, well, "What's the point of trying to?" go for, a, for an eight seed and finish ninth maybe and, and fall way down the draft rather we can just play our young guys and then still have a good shot at the first pick but what what was your sort of immediate reaction um, to what to what they're looking at doing there and do you think it's a major impact on, on where the NBA is headed and then on the tanking that's been a problem uh, particularly with the likes of Philly in the last few years I'm going to claim full disclosure and, and don't think I know all the details, right? So what I, correct me if I've got this wrong, but the, generally what they're doing is the, the number one, like the worst team, they're going to have the top, sorry, let's call the top three, like Tankathon top three, right? So Brooklyn, Sacramento, Lakers will all have the same probability of getting the number one pick. Is that the... That's correct, yes. The, that's right, yeah. And then there's also more likelihood that the say the number 14 team instead of the 2% chance or something, the, the Derek Rose to the bulls probability, that's actually going to be smoothed out a little bit more. So if you finish, you know, in that 10 to 14 range, you've got a better chance instead of the 0.2%. It's, I don't know what the numbers are, but say a, a 5% chance or something like that. That's, that's what I got. So it's a little bit less at the top and a little more likely at the bottom. And I go, Anything in that direction, I think, is a good thing, so long as it doesn't go, I think, too far and beyond the lottery. So I think, it's for me, as long as the lottery stays the lottery, which is the bottom 14 teams, yep. I, I've heard some pretty crazy ideas around crazy stroke interesting and creative, but, you know, I've heard the, um, you know, the lottery wheel idea where all 30 teams, you know, rotate on predicted years, you know, um, I think that yeah. was actually back in the Grantland days, a really, really interesting idea. But could you think of anything worse than Golden State getting the number one pick this year and getting Markel Fultz, right? I go, I literally would rather have a team tank for 80 games than live through a dynasty, you know, landing uh, another superstar. Mm. I think most most fans would probably, and I think the commissioner would be the same. So I like the direction. I'm, I'm... Well, I think the other thing is, it is key that, if, so if you win 14 games, let's say you're by far the worst team, you could end up with a number five pick in this if everything goes wrong for you. 
in this scenario. Oh, you so can I, fall drop. You can fall further as well. Yeah, yes, so they're, they're sort the of taking that incentive away from doing <sighs> a Philly and just going. We're just going to really sneak up the joint to make sure we're the worst team in the NBA, and in the very worst case scenario, we get the four pick. Um, you know, I, I get it's only one more spot, but that, that can be a major difference um, from draft to draft. I've seen a lot of sort of four player drafts over the years, and you sort of think, gee, if you're picking picking five, it can really hurt you. So, I think, and, and I like the fact they're not making major changes either. So they're, they're just sort of fiddling. Like, okay, let, let's find the right balance here rather than make a massive change that like, like something like the wheel or whatever it may be where it's going to change the, the complete fabric of the league going forward. Yeah. Well look and as well as you'd have to you have to ease this in because of all the future picks they're already committed, right? So that, that you know you bring in rules into the league that have effectively artificially you know changed the value of these future picks which are which being hands, so they do have to be careful with making sure it's kind of phased in. But yeah, look, I, I guess at the end of the day, when you ask the question, how how much am I upset or frustrated by um, from a uh, competitive standpoint that tanking exists? Um, is that is a problem to me? Is is that do I care about that more, say, than resting players? Yeah, I suppose a little bit more. But um, at the end of the day, um, you still have to have the ping pong ball go your way, and still picking, you know, Greg Oden versus Kevin Durant is inexact, or right Sam Bowie and Michael Jordan. So, um, hmm. so I guess I'm I like that they're going to make a tweak, but you know the tanking is not the thing. I guess it doesn't really stress me out as much as it perhaps did. Do you, worry about, do you worry about tampering because the NBA uh, fined the LA Lakers $500,000 for tampering in the Paul George situation? I'm not, I'm not yeah, entirely so, sure it did happen there, but obviously where there's smoke, this fire, and LA haven't, haven't exactly appealed or haven't appealed it or haven't um, argued well, I think against it. Was, it. it was pretty clear that it was um, magic, like literally called Paul George's agent. Like he's just idiot, brand new general manager. You know, had a paper trail to Paul George's agent. Okay. So I think that's what that was the debate. I think we is that we know that tampering happens everywhere. Players, effectively, the league is basically the players off each other. David Stern came out and said that players are talking to each other, i.e., you know, when LeBron did the decision, and players are talking to each other, and you can't stop them from talking to each other. That effectively, in the leaders of their organizations, to do the same to take the players. Players provide them information, and you know that dictates or steers their analysis or behavior, or you know that they're looking at certain players. So we know it's tampering, and I think it's this interesting. The league has basically said, um, if you're dumb enough to get caught, we're going to slap a fine on you. But obviously, to not strip them of any draft picks really means they don't really care. They really don't care. So they're in this zone where they have the the persona of having these rules in place. But also being fair to the all the, all thirty owners to say you know what just you know govern yourselves and when Indiana calls foul okay we're going to have to placate them but really what's a half a million dollars to you know bazillionaire owners it's that literally is meaningless. Well, do you so, care though? I mean, if you heard that um, you know Joe Lacob's on the phone to Yas's agent and they're looking to to sign him when he's or you know. 
casing out. He what he's going yep. to do is next contract. But how how annoyed are you, are you Scala one to ten with with that sort of behaviour? I mean, how important is it to enforce these rules? Well, yeah. Look, that's the that's kind of the when you say okay, what's the what are the implications of this? Is just yet another another reason where you got an additional small uh, small market owner in Indiana, you know, traditional sort of older world who already knows that the, the DAC is stacked against him or his superstar is just basically quit on them. And so he's fucking calling foul. And so yes, for also being a, being a fan of the small market, it is, is fucking infinitely frustrating that there's not a level playing field. But part of me then at the same time, I kind of go, that's fucking life, right? You know, it's sort of, that's just the reality. And if I want, if I want parody, I should probably take up, I don't know, lawn bowls or something. There's no such thing as parody. NFL is probably as close as we get with the extreme, extreme uh, level of um, uh, very punitive, um, almost prohibitively punitive uh, breaches of the salary cap. And then... Well, I've actually... made the argument too. Sorry to interrupt you, but I've made the no, argument okay. with the NFL. I, I think it's an argument why parody shouldn't exist. Because what you end up with is just mediocrity across the board. So no team's outstanding, no team's absolutely terrible. Or you may get one or two teams that are very good, one teams that are very bad, and everyone else is just mediocre. And and what that's what you're seeing in the NFL now. These teams don't rise up, and, you, and you're seeing terrible football. I mean, wasn't it better when you had well, San Francisco, it, Dallas, and Green Bay were really good in the NFC? Well, so you were, now we're having the whole thing, all three sport bring baseball into it, right? We were having the little about the Brewers and the Cubs, right? Where the, you know, it's probably the, um, obviously baseball is the only one with a, with there's absolutely no salary cap. There's there's no salary cap. There's kind of a tax apron way up in the two hundred millions, but it's you know basically there's no cap. It's pretty much limitless. Um, and so that is that's the league that's most stacked. So when you ask me, am I frustrated about tampering? It's basically a question of it's another reason why you know, small markets are going to lose out because you can't, you know, Milwaukee will never be Miami or Los Angeles um, in terms of just quality of life, right? Who wouldn't want to live in Miami versus Milwaukee, especially, you know, a 22-year-old kid who's a millionaire. So um, that's where I go when you just, the argument of, well, doesn't parity create bad, you know, lower quality? I go, maybe, maybe, maybe not, but every single fan base you know, has an equal go and you can look at your ownership and your own team and you effectively can, quote, control your own destiny, right? The complete ineptitude of the Bears to draft a quarterback for 25 years. You can't blame, you know, New York and Boston, the Patriots and Green Bay and Dallas for, you know, your failure. Same thing with the Cleveland Browns or Jacksonville, whereas that's where I almost get more frustrated that the that it's an argument, that it's a valid argument. It can sound whiny in some days. It can sound victimy in other days. It can sound very, very valid in other days. In equal measure, you know, when Paul George buggers off, you know, yet another Gordon Hayward buggers off, you know, just that. It's just I'm just so sick of it being a thing. And the NBA is going to be worse. It's going to get worse in the NBA. So is tampering, does tampering really change that landscape? Probably not. You know, players communicate with, you know, with such frequency and fluidity, just as any, right, any community of people who, 
you know, who spend time together would. So it's more that it's an argument and this, this horrible debate is makes me, it does make me annoyed, but it's not a, it's not, it's not as horrible as baseball. Um, yeah. I think NBA has got the, NBA has got the, the balance better if you like than what NFL or MLB does in, in my opinion at least. At least the at least the NBA has the players have power in the NBA and that's the you know that's a thing you've, you've probably heard me bang on about why I've you know I've started to really respect LeBron as he's helped shift this power him and Chris Paul right the the union the union rep have shifted this power to say fuck it we're taking short term deals longer well, let's I don't let's not let the fucking billionaire white man's club tell us how we have to live our lives right let's not let let's not let them do that. So for every Robert and Jerry Jones and Dan Gilbert and you know Wayne Heisinger or whomever it is, it's like that's what I like about the NBA. I have to tip my hat and respect how the players have taken a bigger chunk of the revenue, and they're just you know they're going to go play with their play where they want to play. They have the power now. Coaches don't have the power. Coaches don't have the money. They're not paid like the players are. Right? Blatt's get run out of town. Mark Jackson gets run out of town. Right, the players control the league now, which I—it's hard for me not to really like that. Even though that means that me and my Bucks team are, you know, one of the you know ten or twelve of those smaller market teams who have basically a one and a fucking nothing chance of ever winning a title. Yeah, so, and I, I think it brings it round to the point we made on our—I think it was our last pod—where I think where basketball is it's going to be such a star-driven league. I think you're going to get more and more fans that just follow the stars and follow the players. Um, and I've spoken to more than one person that said, if LeBron leaves Cleveland, I'll just follow him and go to the Lakers or whoever. Um, and I, I honestly believe, yeah. to, particularly with international audiences, that is where the game is going to head now, where it's going to be such a star driven league, you're just going to follow players, and whoever they're playing for, that's the jersey you're going to buy, that's the team you're going to support. But it will be, so unlike baseball and, and football... Which is why it's almost this churn is okay, is that we just talked about the lottery rules are such that when you're a bad team, you've got a good chance of winning, getting a star of your franchise. And so these these things are not going to be as elongated as a, you know, imagine if the NFL didn't have a cap like the way baseball did. Imagine how the Packers and Patriots would be. Let's look by far and away the two best players, right? Let's say. Who cares one and two? I don't care. I'll give you Tom Brady number one, and I'll take number two, right? Just imagine if they didn't have caps, right? Dallas would outspend, but the two best players would have the, the greatest teams built around them, right? Ted Thompson spending a fortune, Robert Kraft. And it's, you know, the NFL, you'd never, ever, ever catch up. You wouldn't. So the NFL, because of that, has to have, has to have a hard cap. The NBA, right? You know what? Shit. I can go a couple of years and draft Fultz. And Embiid, and suddenly, with two years, I've completely changed my trajectory. In the NFL, it's like, oh, I drafted a good offensive lineman and a good wide receiver. You know, okay, maybe maybe twelve more years of drafting will get, you know, will franchise. So that's where I sort of go. The as as much as this turn will happen, there's the next the Giannis is next Giannis is out there, right? The next the next Carl Anthony, the next Davis. So next time, um, Rashid. But <laughs> that's right. So I, I'm, I'm, I think maybe the theme, 
the theme we're continuing to pull through here. I don't, I don't know about you, but I was a far bigger NFL fan five years ago than I was an NBA fan. Not to coincide with the super teams and the decision and and all of that. It did. Did it coincide with my favorite team being god awful? Yes, it did. Did it coincide with the product? Right. You know, Steph hadn't quite helped us understand the reinvention of the game. Right. The, the just the beauty of the three point shot. Yep, it was. But in five short years, that pendulum. I just can't believe I'm saying it. The pendulum has swung so far. Right, it's sunk so far that um, uh, that the NFL is in trouble, and the NBA for me is getting far far more fascinating, and it's even even at the perils of a, you know, what do we say? It's two and a half years, <laughs> two and a half years. We start talking about will Giannis stick around? Hmm. So even I know that's my, it's in my future to have that conversation. I still I think it's the the greatest of the three. Uh, main sports in the U.S. Yeah, I've, I've always been more of an NBA fan than an all fan, so um, probably a bit different for me. But I, certainly my enjoyment of the NFL uh, has gone down exponentially. And being a Bears fan will do that to you in part. Also, just the standard of the games. Um, just it, it but you've mentioned before great. that you know you've not been a fan of the, not the biggest fan of this you know pace and space, but. What do you think of the quality of the NBA product? I just think about quality of product versus the NFL product. Oh, it's chalk and cheese. The, I mean, the, the quality of the NBA, NBA product, because it's a professional product almost every night. I mean, okay, they, they, you've got the bottom level of the league. The Eastern Conference is not as good as, it, as what we'd like it to be. But, you know, there's, there's just you can look at the, at the week of the NBA and not get excited about certain marquee matchups. Um, and I can talk myself into almost any game of NBA just if I want to just watch a certain player, watch a certain team play on defense, whatever it might be. Whereas I just find the NFL is just interminable. Like particularly if it's a it's a bad game, and you know I could count on one hand on one hand the amount of good games in the NFL I've seen, obviously in the last two seasons, um, because they're yeah. just saying you're just looking at it going through and out. Through and out, through and out, or even if it is a high-scoring game, it's just broken plays and just it's just the Super sloppy, Bowl, just sloppy in Super Bowl. But the, because I refuse to watch the, the Super Patriots. Bowls, is one team, one team dominating, and then the, the same team collapsing. It was horrible. It was excruciating. Yeah, so I mean, and that's that's their 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 greatest game. You know, that's that's the NFL's showpiece event. So. Oh, I think yeah, there's been some some good games here and there over the years, but not as I say. I, I can probably count one in last two years in particular, um, and I just think the way the game's going, it's almost too fast now, and I think the players are, and, and that hurts teams sometimes on defense, hurts them sometimes on offense, and it just mm. sort of see, and and I mean the Thursday night games and things like that, it's just it, it, it really is is hard, hard slog. Um, to sit and watch a lot of these games, and, and I love the international aspect too of the NBA. I like the, you know, the, the different, um, the, the way that you, the Euro guys come in and, and play a different style. Game. I mean, it really is. Um, it's not as much as predicated on athleticism and things like that, and then power. It's it's more finesse, uh, more skill. So uh, you know, and, and there's more contrast. You know, I think. 
I think we've lost a little bit of that to to some extent in the NFL. I don't think there's much contrast between the way teams play um, mm. across the season. I just I just don't see it as much. Um, whereas in the NBA, um, there's contrast almost between you know from the pace of space to the, the Spurs who are still sort of playing a bit of a slower style. And other teams that probably you know try and invent a totally new style that we haven't even thought of yet. So that's that's the sort of things that I love um, about the NBA as well. Yeah. So, all right, Daz, well, we might be there, mate. We'll, we'll see where we... We'll, we'll have some more questions to ask next week uh, as we lead into the season. But uh, as I said, it'll come around quicker than we think uh, through the next few weeks. So... Um, did you have a quiz lined up? I did. Have, I had a quick quiz lined up if you wanted to... Um, was that or is that Darius it's around, Miller? Was so, around Darius Miller? I did have this. Well, let, let's let's go on team salary. We did we did talk about it a bit earlier. All right. Who is the number two in terms of team salaries in the NBA at the moment? Oh, team salary. So Cleveland is number one, right? Cleveland's number one. Golden State's number three. Who is number two? Is it Portland? Nope. Portland seven. Oh shit! Who's number two over the cap, paying the tax? Right. This is a great question. He's smart. Where's my list of teams? Um, um, We have discussed their cap situation on this. Charlotte? No. It's not Michael. No. Okay. Um. Ooh, okay, I'm only going to give one more guess. I'm going to say the Raptors. No, the Miami Heat. What? Yep. They've gone that far. 126,218,431. So I'll go down the list just quickly. So Cleveland, number one, two, Golden State, three. Washington four. Do you know who the number five team is? It's not Toronto then. Huh? No, not Toronto. Toronto actually. Right. Um, I'll give you OKC six, Portland seven, Houston eight, New Orleans nine. Believe it or not, Toronto ten. Who is number five? Pelicans. No, no, Pelicans are nine. Oh, the fucking Bucks. <laughs> yep. That's depressing. Well, we are paying $5 million to Larry Sanders and Miles <laughs> Pullman, two of our 17 centers that we signed to long-term contracts the last few years. Let's get in the other end. Who's the, who's the lowest to pay roll in Philly. the NBA? No, Philly's 26. Philly's up to 82 mil. They're way oh, above the Reddick. floor. Yeah, ready again. Then they pay the Mia Johnson. Oh, for fuck's sake! Um, who's the the floor? Phoenix? No, Phoenix twenty seven because they got Chandler. They'll play Brandon Knight. Denver? No, Denver twenty three. Oh, jeez. Brooklyn? No, they pay down no, the way. They pay down the crab. They're 94. They're 19. Jeez, jeez. Um, 
Lakers. Think about a team with just no, not one star player. Just a, a, a... oh, the Bulls now. The Bulls, yes. Yeah, the Bulls, right? The Bulls are thirty. Sacramento twenty nine. Who's the third last? This might surprise you a bit. This surprised me. Looking at Atlanta. No, Atlanta was actually twenty. Jeez, Knicks. No, not the Knicks. They got Melo. They got Capto. No, I have no idea. I'm, I'm not. It's the Dallas Mavericks, seventy-three oh, mil. Right, 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 right. So there you go, and right in the, the middle teams are sort of Detroit, Boston, New York. They're all around. One oh seven mark. So you know the Chicago only have twenty-three million committed in in salaries in 2018-19. So they could be a they could be a free agent player. Is- could they could <laughs> hey look that look this where you go can human beings be that stupid our packs is to go maybe there's hope for humanity they make a giant splash in free agency to kind of go oh that's the long game they're playing but uh i think that's giving them too much credit here's the last quiz question now, who which team has the most amount of cap space for the 2018-19 season. So which team so going summer. into the next year, next summer is going to have the most... Oh, place? God, so assuming all the cap holds and all that stuff. Um, uh, look, my, I still want to say Philadelphia, but that's probably not right. No, it's you're 100% right. Philadelphia. Oh, okay. Yeah. Only 18 million. Yeah. So. Yeah, so this is going to be interesting because Embiid's going to come up for an extension... Um, That's right. So he'll be expecting a, a max max offer. You would think. Well, yeah. If he averaged ten games a season, why wouldn't you get a max offer? <laughs> would you? Well, would you give Embiid a max contract? Not even max close. extension. I would kick the can down the road. Do you think? There's no way I'd do it this summer. Absolutely, under no circumstance, none. How many but games I'm, would you want to see out of him before you you would? Is there a well the, point there. well, the issue, right, is if you don't, if the deadline passes this year, um, he goes under the contract and you, he becomes a restricted free agent next year, which then you have the choice of, you know, letting him, you know, re-signing him, letting him test the market and matching or, you know, extending the QO, etc. So, um, so th- I do not extend him this summer, full stop. Absolutely not. But this is the question that those teams are having to ask themselves because if he blows up and becomes a big superstar, you might regret that decision and say, you know what, we could lock him for a year at better money, maybe we, we build a better relationship with this player and he doesn't walk. I think those, these are some of the questions, particularly with the Gordon Hayward. Sure, but I've seen Brandon are. Roy, Yao Ming, Greg Oden, Andrew Bynum, right, Jabari Parker, um, you pick it. There's just guys, Baron Davis, Danny Manning. When you play 30 games in three years, that is that I don't I don't need any more data. And so it's the it's the horrible foot stuff. And then last year it wasn't even the foot. Well, it's right? a knee is, now. It's knee. That's right. I go. Sorry. What about what well, speaking of knees? What about Jabari Parker? What, yep, what are you never, saying to his absolutely, agents? Let him. No way do I. I, you know, you might do a Jabari. I could see a – look, I don't know Embiid as well as 
in his relationship to the city, right? But Jabari is in love with the Midwest Milwaukee and he wants to be there. He does all the stuff in the Players Tribune. You know, he writes that big, long, open letter to the city of Milwaukee. Like, he's, you know, he's beloved and he loves it there. And he's, you know, he's a, he's one of those, he's just one of those guys, right? Grew up in the Project Chicago and he's just, it was about giving back. Um, so he's the sort of character where I'm like, oh God, he, he, he's even harder than King Isaiah to the curb, I'd argue. Because uh, Isaiah was only there for a short time. So I could see a Jabari doing like a, he's not going to get a max. Jabari didn't get the, sorry, Giannis didn't get the max, so you're not getting the max since you got two ripped ACLs. So like a three-year, three years plus a player option, so you do a short thing like, you know what, you're set for life. I'll give you three years, 60 million sort of thing. And it's a deal he probably turns down because he wants to bend on himself. But when you're the club, how do you put, you can't give him a Giannis like deal, a four-year, 100 million. Yeah, I think can't. someone's going to throw. Like, if, if you're a team... So Jabari will come back like, in, let's say, February, plays 30 games again. <laughs> and let's say he's 30 games, he'll be a restricted free agent. Who is making an offer sheet? So, one, who's got the cap space? Number two, who likes a guy who's shredded his knee two times? Number three, who likes a, you know, a super athletic, aggressive power forward whose entire game is predicated on explosiveness? And he's got to, to a twice shredded leg. The Bulls. Maybe Chicago. Yep. So I what's an R, what's a restricted free agent? What's a what's an RFA offer? If you're the Bulls, that's a great example. Actually, you just said they had tons of cap space, right? What's what sort of offer? Do, if you're the Bulls, do you give a a twice knee shredded um, Jabari Parker when your franchise cornerstone and AP Derek Rose suffered the same fate? Well, what, let, let's look at the Hardaway Junior, four for seventy-two. Did he tear his leg? No, no, no. But that's I'm just uh, I'm using that as an example of, of just throwing a contract out that you're going. They're not going to match that. Now we've got this guy. Well, that's the interesting thing is I think Jabari and Embiid are going to go on similar trajectories. So and I, but I think to, to, just to touch on that point, I no, think sure, Jabari's yeah. ceiling is similar than what Hardaway Junior's is. Oh, by far, yeah. But the probability, the probability of him reaching his ceiling is probably pretty high. The probability of his knee allowing him to take that ceiling for more than eighty games or a hundred games is probably quite low. So that's the yeah. thing: will he reach the ceiling? Will he do it for one year, for three years? Well, you know, but that, if he that, does, you've got him on. A, that's that's actually not a bad contract to have him on if, if he hits that level. It's a shorter contract, higher per year with player option stuff. Right? And I'll say this too. At his best, he's looked a better player than the Wiggins. At his best. Oh, when I saw Jabari like this year, that he had the three-point shot, and I'm like, holy shit. He's he's actually harder to guard. He's horrible on defense, but he's he's in many ways harder to guard than Giannis. Oh, was, a, you could see the one-two punch developing. And, and Middleton wasn't even playing. That's right. Yeah. So that's, you know, I think you know, you're, you're t- we're all hinting around the the dunked on pod around the the mock 
Rookie Extend podcast, the greatest geek <laughs> NBA pod I've ever listened to. Um, but they they let both I think Embiid and if I'm not mistaken Embiid and Jabari, um, the teams wanted uh, their risk hedged, you know, in terms of non guaranteed salaries and shorter conks. The players said, "No, I'm going to bet on myself." And their agents, and they said no, no deal. And they went into, you know, they basically entered the season under their qualifying offer and into restricted free agency. Yeah, and I think that's likely to happen. Today. I think it's likely with the injury risk that they both have and that's right. the way they back themselves. So here's the other question then for you: um, putting salary caps and the rest of it aside, just based on what they you, what you've seen in their injury histories, or have Embiid or Jabari. Embiid. So Embiid, with the yep. broken feet, couldn't play a single game for two seasons, played 30 games and blew up. You'd rather have that guy than the biomechanically flawed ACL Jabari. Yeah, I yeah? just think the, the ceiling of Embiid is just so high that you just have to take the risk. Yeah, that's a, great, that's a good question. I, I probably would too. Like, he's stratospheric. If he reaches where he can possibly go, he could redefine the, the league. And that's that's a big, big statement to make. But well, just a little bit of what we saw from if a guy can play at that level uh, for, for 82 games, whatever, across the season. Hell, 65. You'd be happy with 65 yeah. a year for, for yep. seven years. But if he plays at that level, he's made almost as good as Carl Anthony Towns and. Right? He's oh, not he's on better that than level. Towns. He's better than no. Towns. No. He's got the three-point shot. And the shot blocking. and He, he was starting. To, the assist numbers were starting to come up. He um, does play a bit of defense. And he's All a better right. defender. Oh, he's, a, he's a far better defender than Towns. Mm. But again, we've got three, 33 games. That's, that's the definition of small sample size. 31. 31. Not even I, well, I know because that's a number implanted in my head. For all the Bro- Malcolm Brogdon for Rookie of the Year arguments. Oh, of course, yes. And so, 31, and he only played 25 minutes a game, so it's not like he... Yeah, like on, per, on the ministry restriction, exactly. So his, his per 36s have to be crazy, right? I mean, of course I'd take Towns over him. That's no brain. If you're talking about ceilings, I don't think there's a player in the NBA, to my opinion, that has a higher ceiling than the dude just at the moment. Okay. Okay, oh, buddy. Have a good again. sleep. We'll talk to you See soon. you, pal. Cheers, mate.